Hello, and welcome to Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. I'm Kate Pospisil, the Communications Specialist for the ACFE. Today, I am joined by Dr. David Gladstein, an Associate Professor in the Department of Accounting, Taxation, and Business Law at the State University of New York College at Old Westbury, and the recipient of the 2022 ACFE Educator of the Year Award. At SUNY Old Westbury, Dr. Gladstein began the Justice for Fraud Victims Project, which offers support to fraud victims in Long Island in their pursuit of restitution, while also allowing SUNY Old Westbury students to develop real-world skills and experience. Thank you for being here, Dr. Gladstein. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a bit about the Justice for Fraud Victims Project? As you mentioned, Kate, you know, the the project um, at SUNY Old Westbury uh, was started to for two two reasons. One is for the benefit of the students to provide them experiential learning in the area of fraud and forensic accounting, and two to provide service to the community where uh, local businesses and not-for-profit entities uh, who have experienced fraud and cannot afford a fraud or forensic accounting examination. Uh, that our students can provide that service to them. Okay. What was the inspiration behind starting this program? Good, good question. Uh, The inspiration really was, um, you know, I was teaching fraud examination uh, before we actually started a forensic accounting program at SUNY or Westbury. And, you know, one of the ways that students can gain experience is through uh, case studies. I actually was a doing fraud examination before the ACFE was even uh, available to uh, you know practitioners. Um, so you know, and before the term forensic accounting became a given term, I was actually doing royalty audits. And the best way I found was to gain experiences was through work. So when I knew when we started the develop when I developed the uh, MS and forensic accounting program at SUNY or Westbury, which includes, you know, fraud examination. Uh, I knew I wanted the program to be the best. We're the only we're the only program on the in the New York metropolitan area that has a a master's in forensic accounting program. But it's not just good enough to teach the courses. It's really imperative that the students gain uh, real world experience, and that's how the Justice for Fraud Victims Project came about. I actually did not, I wasn't the originator of the Justice for Victims Project. It actually started at, at uh, Gonzaga University. And there's a, there's a few schools that are doing it, um, a, school, a few schools that try to do it, um, but we're one of maybe three or four schools that are currently doing it, the only school on presently on the East Coast. So for that uh, MS in forensic accounting, is this a requirement for your students or is it just an opportunity for them to gain experience? Well, good question. Again, uh, the way the way I wanted to originally set it up was similar to how law clinics were set up at uh, various law schools where the public can come in and the students would volunteer their time uh, to gain uh, experience handling real world cases. 
Um, the way we have it set up and, and the other schools are might be a little bit different than Old Westbury. We actually have it set up as part of a course uh, called Case Studies in Forensic Accounting uh, in our uh, master's program. So the students have to take that course as part of a requirement towards their uh, degree. So is it all in-class coursework or is there outside of class coursework as well? Again, it really depends. You know, it depends upon uh, cases that come in and where the work comes from. So in terms of the cases, sometimes we'll use uh, cases that have been developed and published. And in between, if, uh, if we get work through various sources that the students can work on, We'll stop the textbook type cases and the students will work on uh, cases through the Justice for Four Victims Project. In a typical course, how many cases would you present to your students? Um, it depends. You know, it depends upon how many students are involved in the course. You know, our, you know, we just started the program in 2018, so we're slowly uh, we're slowly growing. The in this particular course, it ranges from uh, five to eight students generally per uh, semester and students will work in groups of anywhere from two to four. So generally speaking, it's either, you know, two, uh, you know, one to three cases that they'll work on. Some of the cases are larger, so we don't want to use just one or two students because we want them to feel that they are progressing through the semester and they can see the progress they made um, with the particular case. Are there any concerns with non-disclosures or um, protected information? Good question. Um, yes. Uh, they, they here, you know, this for, for our program, the Justice for Fraud Victims Project, maybe I just have to take a step back. You know, the original goal was to uh, get cases directly from the communities. And the, the reason why, you know, I thought, oh, we're in New York City metropolitan area. Uh, if they did it in Gonzaga and the University of Alaska doing it, you know, we probably have uh, at least five, six times the population uh, that, that those locations have. So I was like, you know, easy. We'll have a lot of cases and we'll be inundated and, you know, we'll have a backlog. Uh, so, but it, it really wasn't that easy. The, the, um, the basis behind the project, you know, really took fold in terms of developing and networking. And that was, that really took a lot of time, especially it was started right before the pandemic. Um, the students sign a non-disclosure agreement as part of the coursework, but the students actually, when we don't have cases directly from uh, the public, it kind of morphed into uh, working with the Nassau County District Attorney's Office, the local district attorney, and their fraud and uh, various units use our students to do analysis work through this project. So the students also file a uh, non-disclosure agreement uh, with the uh, district attorney's office. So it kind of protects uh, the integrity of the work and the, and the work papers. Okay. So 
you have legal professionals coming to you for the use of your program. Do you ever have members of the public coming to you for use of your program? Yeah, I mean, I get, we have a, uh, we have a form on the Old Westbury website that two things, one, it promotes the program, but two, there's a, uh, a form that they can fill out that if they, if somebody has been victimized by fraud, uh, and when I mean somebody, you know, there's certain cases that we will take, and I can explain that. Um, the cases that we generally are looking for are small business and not-for-profit entities. Uh, we're looking also for, you know, elder abuse fraud. The reason why those are the particular types of cases that we take is because there's documentation. And the students can look at documentation and it can come to fruition over a period of time. Okay. What's been one of your craziest cases that your students have worked on? Aren't they all crazy? Uh, <laughs> well, it depends on who you ask. Um, you know, there, there was some uh, political fraud that they got to review. There was some, you know, embezzlement cases. There, you know, there's some uh, bookkeeper issues. Uh, so, you know, they, they kind of run the gamut. I mean, if 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 somebody's looking to see what type of fraud there exists, you know, just look at the ACFE and the fraud and the fraud tree. Uh, that is, you know, what falls under occupational fraud. That's probably what my students will most likely view and have viewed. Uh, financial statement fraud, uh, you know, they are introduced to that, but they don't see cases on that, on that. And, you know, the corruption is just some of these things take years and years to investigate and look into. And that's why we have to be selective in the cases we take and the type of work we do with the uh, Nassau County District Attorney's Office. Do you... Do you ever get involved with cases that haven't been litigated yet? Yeah, most of the most of these cases. Um, I mean, the, those are the those are the cases that are the private cases. You know, we're not trying to we're not through the project. We're not trying to take business away from fraud examiners or forensic accountants. But some people, like minority communities, uh, they might not be able to afford the services of a private forensic accountant. And when they go to when they go to law enforcement, you know, law enforcement might say your case is too small. We don't have the resources to put to that. So a lot of times, uh, where do they go? They don't know where to go. And and this kind of developed as I was doing, you know, I I used to go to various local community events, and people wouldn't know who to turn to. Do I go to the FBI? Do I go to federal? Do I go to state? You know, do I go to my local? And people just kind of gave up, you know, like 2000 or 5000 to a large business that got the fraud. It might not mean that much, but to a small business entity, that might be the difference between being in business or not being in business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Well, what would you consider to be one of your program's biggest successes? <laughs> everything um you know we we have we have great students 
the students love that they gain this experience. Um, there are other programs, forensic accounting and fraud examination programs out there, but they don't do the Justice for Fraud Victims Project. And maybe maybe one of the reasons why a lot of schools aren't doing this, because it takes a lot of work to develop the program. It For me, it was like starting a business. I've had my own consulting practice, and this was more work to develop this than actually, you know, developing and working on my own practice. You know, it, it was a lot of networking, uh, a lot of uh, working with the community. One of the great things about the, you know, the Justice for Fraud Victims Project, not only, you know, it, it meets the social justice mission of the college, uh, but the students really get to know uh, not even about the fraud or forensic accounting component, you know, they really get to know that this affects their community and that anybody can be a victim of fraud. They actually have the opportunity to sit in on uh, networking with community leaders uh, through, you know, in-person in -person meetings, through Zoom meetings. And they, the, you know, any, anybody that I introduce the students to, about or introduce the program to, they all love the project because they think it can help their communities. And that's where the community leaders have to take this back to the communities to let them know, this is a service that's available to people in their community if the need arises. And you know, if, if my students cannot help them, we try to advise them where they can turn. So, you know, just like the ACFE, it's all about education. You got to keep educating the community. You got to keep educating the leaders because if we educate, hopefully we can, you know, reduce the risk of potential fraud. Do you have any students who come in and maybe don't have really a direction they want to go and then they become involved with your project and suddenly they get super passionate about finding justice for victims of fraud? Has that some, been something? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, we have at, at Old Westbury, we have three master's programs in the accounting program. It's, it's general accounting, taxation, and now forensic accounting. There's a lot of students when they go through the fraud examination class, because that's their initial exposure to fraud, that they don't even know what their options are. And part of what I do, you know, it's not, again, it's not just about looking at the textbook or using the material from the ACFE, but it's actually bringing in professionals. I bring in people from the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the IRS Criminal Investigation Division, the District Attorney's Office. I actually run a project, another experiential, experiential learning project called the Adrian Project in conjunction with the IRS Criminal Investigation Division. And it blows the students' minds when they go through it. It's a, a soup to nuts mock investigation where they're doing the investigation in conjunction with actual agents of the FBI. Uh, they get to do interview, interviewing skills, the questioning skills, uh, looking at documents. Um, they do arresting and, and 
and mock gun training. And they don't even, you know, students don't even know what for fraud examination is and what's available. Their mindset is accounting or taxation, but they could take those skills and use that to apply to um, investigation. I mean, look at look at the ACFE. There's a whole range of uh, different members there, uh, from you know CEOs to investigators to private investigators to CPAs to non-CPAs. There's a whole you know everybody doesn't have to be a CPA to be a fraud examiner, but to get this experience and exposure to different potential job opportunities, um, you know, the students love it. The students are better informed when they leave there. Maybe they go into accounting initially, but then they say, you know, the a seed was planted in their minds that, you know what, I'm not really happy in public accounting. Maybe I want to be a, you know, work for the IRS. Um, yeah, well, you know, we're open at Old Westbury to anybody to come in to speak to our students. So if anybody's interested, feel free to contact me. I can imagine that if this program had been an option when I was in college, I probably would have gotten into the anti-fraud field a lot sooner than I originally did. You know, I, I Kate, I it was actually, like I said, I didn't even know what this field was about. I did royalty audits and I just loved it. But then I said, do I want to be pigeonholed to do royalty audits? And that's the only thing. And then I kind of went back and learned about small businesses. I learned about taxation. I learned how businesses did things well and did things not so well. And, you know, you, you know, you, you get a feel for how businesses operate and then how businesses could do something that might not be uh, ethical. And it was it was a it was a great experience. And then when the ACFE, I found out about the ACFE, I jumped on. I must be a a twenty plus year person, so I don't even know. I'm guess I guess I'm showing my age. We appreciate having members like you. That is for sure. I love it. I think you know. I encourage my students. I encourage my students to join uh, the ACFE. I encourage my students to join the local chapter because I think the benefits of networking. Uh, we actually did a networking event on the campus with, uh, of Old Westbury with our local chapter, and it was great. Not only did the students get, you know, free education on on different aspects of fraud, but they during the breaks they got to network with CFEs. Which hey, when do you get to sit with CFEs? You know, so besides myself, they see me. I'm only I'm only the papa. <laughs> you know, and the papa doesn't really um, hold weight when it comes from other CFEs. I appreciate their help. Absolutely. And that's where the project, just so you know, we, you know, when we get outside cases, we do work in conjunction with our local chapter and we use CFEs as the mentors because I'm just the conduit between the students and the CFE. So if a case doesn't, a case doesn't end at the end of a semester, the CFE could be the transition person from one group of students to the other group of students. But we try to encourage students, even if they're done with a particular course, to either hang on and they can be the leader of the next group to educate those people and or, and or 
um, help transition uh, the CFE with a new group of people? That actually makes me think of a question that I didn't ask already. So okay. if, if a case is not solved, solved, quote unquote, within the course of a semester, which probably is rare as it is, you carry that case on to the next course. We do. And that's where this the CFE mentor comes comes in handy. You know, uh, we would hope we would, you know, again, the cases have to be qualified beforehand and the type of cases we take. So we try not to take a case that's going to be years and years. Uh, we look at the documentation that's available. That's another criteria. Uh, so we can see if we can get it to some point within a semester. Um, but we also want the students to know that, um, hey, what happened with the case? How did it get resolved? And sometimes it, sometimes it comes to fruition and, one and sometimes once it comes to fruition, it, it could be handed over to uh, law enforcement or the district attorney's office to hopefully get uh, restitution for the victim. A lot of times, you know, and, and this is in some of the coursework that I teach, a lot of times we don't focus on the the victims. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, we need to focus more on on the victims because these are these are real people and real businesses. And uh, we need to know. I mean the students, it's it's great that we can uh, find the fraud, quantify the fraud, uh, indicate who the perpetrator was, but you know, people are hurt when they're victims. They're hurt, they're hurting. And there's not enough um, exposure for the students to the victims. There's not enough research in the area of victimization. So I think it's very, very important that the students understand, you know, and that's, I think, the students get to know uh, the victims, especially when they're involved in the particular case, because they're dealing directly with them. Absolutely. That's not something I've ever really thought about before, but when you put it into words, you're absolutely right. We do focus on the fraud and we focus on the perpetrators and we focus on the investigation and how to find it and, and punish it and detract from it. But we don't really talk about the people who are actually hurt. Because like you said, at the end of the day, they are people and they are hurt. Yeah, I did, I did, a, um, I did a paper on uh, victims of the Madoff scandal, and uh, it was basically dealt with their emotions. It was called, you know, it developed a term called the fraud, um, fraud trauma syndrome, and that uh, every time the fraud would be brought up, these people would experience uh, similar feelings to PTSD. And you know it is a it is definitely a real a real thing, um, similar to uh, you know blue collar crimes or traditional crimes, whatever you you call it. Uh, somebody you know somebody who might get raped, they experience trauma. People who have been victims of fraud, they experience this similar type of trauma. Except the public doesn't weigh it as much. Um, and we really need to consider that. You're absolutely right. That is, that is an interesting thing that I haven't ever thought about. So I appreciate you bringing that to light. Thank you. Dr. For, a tra for a trauma syndrome. I'll send you, <laughs> I'll send you the link. <laughs> oh, please do. Okay. So we talked about your successes. 
I have to ask the other side of the coin. What do you think has been one of the biggest challenges with this initiative? I think getting, listen, like I said before, I think everybody's been supportive. Everybody who I speak with, whether it is um, business leaders, uh, chambers of commerce, um, law, you know, legal and, and law enforcement associations and things like that. They're all great project, great project. I don't, I think one of the project, the challenges is this, it's me. Um, you know, uh, I am a full, I'm a full-time professor at SUNY Old Westbury and they pay me to, they pay me to teach, do research and, and contribute to the college uh, campus. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm doing this for the good of the students. I'm not making money doing this. And it's, it's really about me. It's only me by myself. I, you know, a lot when people say it's a great thing, it's a great thing. The biggest challenge is to get them not just to say it's a great thing, but for them to take the next step to say, what can I do to help make this project or move this project further along so it's successful for the community or the communities that we live in? Well, along that same line, Dr. Gladstein, what can I do? <laughs> Not only as a, an employee of the ACFE, but as a general person, what could someone do to help further a program like this? Another good question. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think this, this, you know, fraud talk is going to be a great, a great thing because uh, number one is the ACFE will help expand the exposure of the program. I can use it to expand the exposure of the program locally and within my uh, local chapter. Um, I, I think that's I think that's the best thing. I need people to be active and take action, and they know if it's a good project, um, you know, to support it. You know, my you know. My college won't. You know, they they will support things that bring recognition to the college. And the recognition to the college is, is really only shown two ways. One is through promotion and getting exposure for the institution, which gains exposure for the Justice for Fraud Victims Project. And the second way is through enrollment, because now money is coming back in for the programs they support. Um, so the more exposure I can have, the greater that this project will continue and last into the future. If that doesn't happen, then they might pull uh, any funds that are going towards the project. And I think that would be unfortunate, again, backtracking, unfortunate both for the community where people are victims and now they don't have this resource and also unfortunate for the students because they're not getting the training prior to their graduation. This, tra this training makes them, it's great for them because it makes them more marketable, it provides them experience and it will help them uh, get jobs uh, you know, while they are still in school. A, a number of students have gone on who are masters in forensic accounting program to work 
in you know risk and advisory services and and the IRS um, after they have been involved in the in the master's program and this justice for fraud victims project. So it would be it would be a shame if the project didn't continue. I would agree with that one hundred percent. So again, kind of flipping the coin. Um, we want your project to continue, obviously, but if another school wanted to start a similar initiative, what advice would you have? Um, what communities would you suggest they reach out to? Um, whatever you've got for anybody who would be interested in starting a program like this. You know, that's not, that question I've actually already handled, not from you, but I actually... Um, there was a professor who has reached out to me. He's from the University of Maryland. He saw my project and uh, some PR that we have online about the project. He reached out to me and um, I assisted him in, in any way I could with the material I had. Um, he actually had, you know, he has some students who are, who are um, active to try to get reach out to community to get the program running. I've spoken to his students. There's another professor who is actually a professor at the uh, University in Gonzaga who helped start that, who is now at Siena College in upstate New York. She reached out to me and said, you know, what were the stumbling blocks in New York State? Because there's different, you know, the legal, the legal issues in Washington are different than the legal issues in New York State. And some of that was a stumbling block uh, for the project as well. You know, I was like, whoa, where are all the cases? They should be rolling in and, you know, we're open for business. You know, where are they? And it just wasn't that way because in New York State, uh, when a case goes to either, when a case goes to uh, law enforcement or the district attorney, it kind of blocks that them from coming to us once it's at that level. So, um, you know, getting the word out is even more important within New York State to let individuals know, you know, you don't have to go to law enforcement, we want, you know, to give them that information. Let us look at it first and then you can go. If we can help you, we can. If, if not, worse comes to worse, you go to the district attorney or go to uh, law enforcement. But my, my door is always open. I'm not, you know, there's no secret that I have. Um, if I can help anybody start the Justice Before Victim Project, I'm not, you know, it's not a competition. I win, you know, if, if, if you win, I lose. No, if, if you win, I win. If I win, you win. And we're, we're all in the fraud, we're all in the fraud uh, business together. You know, we all, who, who wants fraud? We're all here to hopefully, you know, reduce fraud, um, help help people at the same time, and, and then everybody wins. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'll go, I'll, I, if somebody said, hey, come to my school and help us and show me what to do, I'd be there, you know, hey, when do you want me? I'll help you. <laughs> I'm so, even though I know it might sound funny, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm like dead serious. I'll help anybody. No, your passion is inspiring. I've loved chatting with you today, Dr. Gladstein. Thank you so much. Do you have any final words of wisdom other than what you just shared? Because those were amazing. No, I just think I just think the, you know, the ACFE has been super supportive. Um they're, you know, they're a well-run professional organization. 
um, they're very well recognized. I mean, I've testified on cases and uh, when people hear that you're a CFE, you know, there's usually no further questioning regarding your background or your experience. Um, strongly encouraged, like I said before, students to become, become members. Uh, people who are, have any thought about being a member, if, even if they're not a student, should uh, become members. The material is, you know, aces in terms of education and learning. Um, you know, attend the, attend the, um, you know, annual, uh, you know, event, because that's a great educational experience. And I've reached out to people from that event and everybody, you know, just like I said, I'd support people. Everybody who I've reached out to has always uh, returned my emails to have a discussion. They're all available. And, um, you know, I can't say enough great things about it. I think we do have a pretty good community in the anti-fraud uh, environment, if you will. Yeah, pretty good. No, it's don't don't underestimate it. It is great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Well, if you are a higher education professional looking to offer more formal education to the students who look to you and your program for anti-fraud knowledge, the ACFE invites you to join the Anti-Fraud Education Partnership. There's no cost to join and you will have access to various resources to prepare the next generation of anti-fraud professionals. You can learn more at acfe.com forward slash higher dash ed. I do want to say thank you again, Dr. Gladstein. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Your passion, again, is very inspiring. Your program sounds amazing, and I would love to see it take off across the world. Thank you for listening. You can find this podcast along with all other episodes of Fraud Talk on acfe.com, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This has been Kate Pospisil signing off.